This is The Cable. How much retail ownership is in stock? Tech story is front and centre. What will this wind up doing to the cost curve? Your connection from the London market close to the US market action. A significant sell-off in European assets. So it feels like a lot of these stocks have already priced that in. This is a stock that is increasingly being shorted. The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele. Behavioural challenges from the pandemic could linger for years on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. You're listening to The Cable on Bloomberg DAB Digital Radio. Happy Tuesday, everybody. I'm Alex Steele in New York. Guy Johnson is off today. Damien Sassauer joins me in the studio here in New York to help me get through the next hour. Let's get a quick update. A lot of stuff was happening today. Um, within the market, a little bit mixed over in Europe. The FTSE 100, though, led to the downside down by about eight-tenths of 1%. That was really as commodities got hit pretty hard. But the FTSE 100 now in negative territory uh, for the year. You also had Euro-Dollar testing parity again, the pound the lowest level since March of 2020. Part of the reason why we saw all of this uh, was in the U.S. You see major indices below their moving averages. You also had really good data which then means hawkish Fed, which then means bad for markets. That's the narrative uh, that we're going with today. Lots of stuff to get through. We will get to all of them in just a moment. But first, here is Charlie Pellet with some updates. Hi, thank you very much, Alex Steele. Here's what's going on. UK gas producers and electricity generators may make excess profits totaling as much as 170 billion pounds over the next two years. This according to Treasury estimates that lay bare the revenue-raising potential of a windfall tax. The source tells Bloomberg Treasury officials will deliver that assessment to the next prime minister when they take office on September 6. Europe, meanwhile, facing a further squeeze in Russian energy supplies as Gazprom told French utility Angie that it will reduce gas deliveries starting today because of disagreements over some contracts. Moscow has progressively choked shipments of the fuel to Europe in retaliation for sanctions relating to its invasion of Ukraine. The Environment Agency says England's southwest region is now in drought despite recent heavy rains across the country. The affected areas include Bristol, Somerset, and Dorset. The agency says the public and businesses are used to urge to use water wisely as the dry summer impacts the environment. And beer industry bosses say thousands of pubs will be driven out of business by soaring energy bills unless they get urgent state support. Chiefs from several large brewers and pub chains wrote to the government at the end of last week to demand a targeted package of measures to help the sector. The British Beer and Pub Association says pubs' energy bills are rising by an average of 150%. That is the latest from the news desk. Alex Steele, back to you now here in New York. No. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot of beer that's got to be sold. <laughs> and you also can't, like, you know, raise the pint of a of a beer that much. That's crazy. Exactly, exactly. It's it's sad. I mean, but but this has been a story that has been happening. I would suggest almost for decades now. Mm-hmm. The the demise of of uh, English pubs, not just in England too, but Ireland also uh, facing the same pressures on pubs. Do you what? like bitters? What's do, that? Do you drink bitters? No, I, I no, I tend to. I, I'm embarrassed. I, I'm a mainstream commercial guy. Course, I like walk into a pub. Well, I tend Corona. not to go for American brands when I'm in the United Kingdom. Heineken. But uh, no, Still. not Heineken. But I, you know, tend to go for you know just UK brands. Yeah. 
Okay, in general. Well, that's fair yeah. enough. Yeah, exactly. Um, sure, I, I, I'm guessing yes. you're not a beer beer woman. Me, I like beer. Do you really? Yeah. All right. What? Alex, are you yeah. kidding me? We what? have a cooler under the table here. Do you really? Of course we do. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, if only. Well, maybe before I had long COVID, that would probably probably have been definitely. <laughs> no, but it, it always bothers me when I go to the United Kingdom, and I, I don't know why, but whenever I see American brands listed as some of the beers mm-hmm. that you can buy in a UK pub. I'm There's, the same way. Like I, I like the craft or the local. Uh, uh, exactly, sure. exactly, exactly. But I, I also like the mass-produced beers in the United Kingdom. So When in Rome. He's yeah, coming exactly. your way, guys. He's exactly. coming your way. Exactly. So, exactly. so gird your pubs. Uh, all right. Uh, <laughs> thanks enough. very much, Charlie. Hey, Damien. Hi. How are you? How you been? I've been good. It's great to see you. Missing He's all you? tan. He's been on vacation. You know, I like to travel a bit, sure. He does. Um, are you ready to talk? We're going to do some China stuff, but you're going to talk about UK electricity bills I mean, that's and my politics. Favorite. You're good, right? Yeah, all good. All good. I mean, <laughs> I'd love to talk about UK politics. It's it's nothing more interesting to me. Okay, so let's get to it. Okay. Um, Bloomberg Television yesterday spoke with Nadim Sahawi, uh, Chancellor of the Exchequer. Sure, he's sort of maybe a placeholder for the moment, but um, front and center is what we're going to do about electricity prices. Um, Goldman Sachs says that UK inflation could top 22% next year if natural gas prices keep rising. Here's part of that conversation. We have to remain resilient. The Ukrainian people are um, facing a, you know, a really tough Mm. Uh, time, an illegal invasion of their country. Mm. So we have to make sure that back home in the UK, people have the help that they need. So at the moment, we have £37 billion that we've put uh, to work to help people. Uh, Everybody will get £400 off their energy bill um, uh, from October through to December. So that effectively halves the increase that has come through through the energy price cap. Mm. But we know we need to do more because uh, by December, January, and then of course into next year, uh, those bills uh, will probably go up further. That was Nahid Nahim, excuse me, Zahawi, Chancellor of the Exchequer, uh, joining us. Joining us now is David Goodman, UK fiscal economy and Bank of Europe reporter. Um, David, The details are pretty scarce, but what more do you think the government is going to have to do? I mean, 22% inflation predicted by Goldman Sachs is enormous. What kind of bill are we talking about? Yeah, I mean, that is a crazy number to to think of in terms of a kind of headline inflation rate. And that was based on on the UK government spending an additional 30 billion in in fiscal support. So that kind of gives you a sense of the scale of the the package expected in terms of what could be done. I think what's clear is something needs to be done very quickly within the first kind of few weeks or or even days of, of the new prime minister's time in office. They could extend the current schemes, which are kind of talking about energy bill rebates um, and some direct support, or they could do something on VAT or, or green levies. But really, they need to get a big package for households, but also for businesses, because at the moment, a lot of the support has been focused on households and, and businesses are the ones who are suffering already and they're seeing some kind of astronomical bill increases, which obviously came out in that story about pubs you were talking about earlier. (laughs) David, talk to me about um, my friends who are trading UK linkers over there in London. I mean, some of the way that the, what is it, 12 billion pounds in aid is going to be accounted for is under question. And I believe tomorrow at 7 a.m. we're going to have some clarity there. I wonder if you could help me understand that. Yeah, so basically what, what what's happening is that the ONS are going to, the, the statistics office are going to announce how they're going to treat the government aid package in terms of inflation. So the government are giving a, basically a £400 energy bill rebate from October through to through March to, to every household. So that comes off their bill. And, and the issue is whether the statisticians say that's going to 
count as an income boost for households or whether it counts as a price adjustment for energy. And if it's a price adjustment for energy, then that weighs on inflation and brings the headline rate down. Uh, Deutsche Bank told us they reckon that's about 2.7 percentage points off headline RPI um, and, and a kind of slightly smaller but still significant amount off, off CPI. So it's a big it's a it's a big kind of thing in normal times, 2.7 percentage points of inflation. Obviously, if you're talking about headline rates of 18 or 20 percent, then it's not going to prevent an inflation crisis, but it's going to maybe lower that peak slightly from from where it could be. Yes, it's, it's something, I guess, if you're going to look at it that way. Um, the the other um, interesting thing that came out, I think it was like half an hour ago, is that um, the Treasury is estimating that UK gas producers and electricity generators could make excess profits of as much as 170 billion pounds. Um, I'm guessing that that's also being put out there to be like, so let's get that windfall tax going and let's use that money to help offset energy bills. Is, is that what is that what's in the market here? Yeah, well, I mean, there's that that great story from from Alex and and, and Todd over here. Um, there was a lot of debate about windfall taxes earlier this year, and there was seemed to be quite a lot of resistance within the Tory party to to bring one in, and then eventually they brought one in. Um, now this is saying I think there's a lot more money they could go after, and again. The, the candidates, particularly Liz Truss, have kind of said, like, we're not going to do a windfall tax. That's not we, what we're about. Um, but obviously, if there is all this extra money that, that firms have made from the energy crisis, it's going to be tempting to at least chase after some of that to help pay for what's going to be a, a multi-billion pound package of households. And it kind of has to be that much to prevent a kind of really horrible winter right. for, for lots in the UK. David, I want to switch back to you know the the RPI and 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 what this. Oh, bill you're staying nerdy on this. I, 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 oh, just, okay. I, I don't mean, know why I'm surprised I, by this I, statement. I, I mean, I just I just need to know what is being priced <laughs> into UK inflation swap markets. I mean, is there anything there? Can we read into what's going on in the pricing? I mean, what gilt yields are up? I mean, pretty significantly today. I think we're at two seventy four on the ten year. I mean, what do you think? Well, I think at the moment the markets are kind of broadly expecting this is going to be treated as as an income thing in the UK. So it won't have an impact on on what's happening with with inflation and obviously that's linked to what linkers get in terms of their their, their payments there so i think that if we do get at seven o'clock tomorrow morning we get the ons saying actually we're going to bring down inflation and that could be a nasty surprise to some people mm-hmm. in the market what do you think we're gonna get from the boe oh i mean more rate hikes Probably for I mean, that's what the market's pricing in. Yeah, I mean, it just feels completely. like we're so grim right now. Yeah, uh, I mean, you look at the price of now. We're at one point seven five percent now. I looked this morning, and, and they're looking at rate. Markets are saying we're going to hit four point two five percent next year. Those that was unthinkable, even a couple of months ago, and particularly when the BOE started this cycle. The idea that we could top out above four percent was was yeah, it wasn't in anyone's plan. But obviously, this inflation surge and the energy price crisis got so bad that this is what pe- the kind of numbers we're having to talk about now. David, do you think yield expectations are going to stay at those high levels for longer after what we've just heard out of the U.S. here in Jackson Hole? Or can we expect, you know, once they've hit that point, you know, not too long thereafter, what are the markets pricing in? Are they pricing in cuts? Um, not as much as they were before. And I think that, obviously, the other thing the BOE have done is they've come out with this really gloomy growth forecast. They're mm-hmm. saying that we're going to enter a recession in the, in the fourth quarter of this year. And then we're going to have a five-quarter recession, and another two quarters after that, we're not going to see any growth at all. So that's seven quarters without growth. That takes us into into 2024. Um, if they're not thinking about cutting rates in that scenario, I'm like, like, why why would you expect them to think about that in when we get to the kind of 2024? So, yeah, I think what's been 
significant in the UK is this like big jump in in expectations for interest rates but also mm-hmm. that it's kind of stayed more steady further out and we're not seeing a kind of sharp peak in a decline. All right, David, thanks a lot. Really appreciate David Goodman uh, joining us on All Things UK. And if you think the UK is in a tough spot, Europe also, I feel, is in a really tough spot. So on the flip side, one side, we get Spanish CPI easing for the first time in four months. A German CPI, though, jumped 8.8% uh, year on year. Um, it really raises, Damien, the question of a 75 basis point hike, at least the conversation or reducing the balance sheet. But consumer and business confidence is terrible in the Eurozone. At least here, it's holding up somewhat. Well, that 8.8% inflation rate is near a 50-year high in Germany. So, I mean, it's pretty high. I mean, look, the reality is you've got governing council members like Vasile, which is the Slovenia representative on the governing council, not out of the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. You know, these guys are calling for a 75-bit hike in September. But on the flip side, you've got Greece, you've got other countries, you know, looking for 50 bips. But one way or the other, Alex, it looks like they're going to be raising rates and pretty aggressively at that. Yes. And then what happens then to the economy? So Anna Edwards and I on television caught up with Peter Chatwell, Mizuho head of multi-asset strategy, and asked him about these hawkish expectations when it comes to the ECB. The most hawkish I can remember, um, for for sure. Um, And I think what's driving that for me and what makes such a departure from the last decade uh, is that I can uh, see that the neutral interest rate globally uh, is is really accelerating higher, uh, and that's taking place even in Europe. So now I can see that the the neutral rate, so that's the the policy rate whereby um, the economy is not expanding nor contracting. Uh, that's going higher as inflation embeds itself further into the economy, and I think that that is really uh, what this quarter is going to be all about: uh, an ongoing realization from market participants that neutral interest rates are going higher because the central banks en masse are not getting ahead of the inflation curve. Mm -hmm. And therefore, they need to be uh, tightening policy much more quickly than had previously been expected. So talk of 75 basis point hikes from the ECB, I think, is is not a surprise. Um, They need that option and probably they need the the option to also talk about reducing the balance sheet. Peter, does the 75 basis point talk and the balance sheet reduction talk turn into actual action on either of those two things? Well, I think that there's reason to expect that it becomes much more strongly priced into the market. And that's when you take into account the more holistic view, take into account the weakness of the euro, for example, and consider what is it going to take, taking into account the recent developments in gas prices, what is it going to take Uh, to put a floor under the euro to stop the inflation developments turning into a spiral. And that's where one, I think most estimates will point to there being a need to get nominal interest rates in the eurozone uh, above 2% and quickly, um, probably have them on a trajectory uh, to get close to 3%, um, and then to really make sure um, to to ensure that uh, periphery doesn't turn into uh, something of a mini crisis, mm-hmm. to ensure that the TPI is also activated and viewed as credible going forward. So that requires mm. a lot of movement from the ECB. Uh, that was Peter Chatwell, Mizuho head of multi-asset strategy, joining Anna and I uh, on television. Um, all right, well, coming up, we're going to talk more about the energy crisis uh, over in Europe. Gazprom is going to be shutting down Nord Stream 1 tomorrow for supposedly three days for supposedly unplanned maintenance. We'll talk about the, the ripple effect in just a moment. This is Bloomberg. 
This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. Electricity market design in Europe took many, many years to be developed. So it's not something that you can, you know, change overnight. So I would expect this to be a structural long-term reform. Also, to reflect the fact that now renewables are very cheap and we increasingly have more and more renewables into the system. The point is then what to do short term. And for the short term, in terms of emergency measures, the European Commission might well put forward some proposals Mm -hmm. of price caps for gas, as well as measures to reduce the volatility of the TTF, which we see swinging very strongly every day. That was uh, Simone Tagliapetra. He is senior fellow over at Bruegel, uh, talking about the options that European leaders are looking at when it comes to uh, high gas prices and high electricity prices. So I- I'm going to get a little nerdy on this one now. Will Mathis of Bloomberg uh, joins us now. Will, I just want to understand the relationship between, say, high prices and high electricity prices. Um, that seems to be the problem, this link that everyone's talking about, and how to break the link that Portugal and Spain are able to do right now. What, what actually happens here? So, you know, electricity markets have always worked in a kind of funny way that until recently no one really cared about, which is Fair. marginal pricing, which is basically the most expensive form of generation sets the price for everyone. So if natural gas is... If natural gas plants are selling power and they're doing so 10 times more expensively than, you know, wind and solar and nuclear and and everybody else, then everyone is making that 10 times more expensive price. So, you know, when natural gas does, in fact, play such an important role in Europe's power mix, it's just increasing the price across the board for every kind of generation. And that's just, you know, uh, making the problem much worse than it otherwise would be. Will, forward curves are pricing in sharper declines in nat gas versus crude oil out to, like, I don't know, 2025. I mean, do you think that the price rise in oil is stickier than natural gas? Um, I think that it is very hard to say how sticky the natural gas price rise is right now. I mean, you've just seen such extreme volatility just, you know, day to day. Uh, I think you'd probably find... Uh, be hard to find anyone who's really predicting with a lot of certainty what natural gas is going to cost, you know, a year or two from now, uh, let alone like a week from now. <laughs> but um, it's f- for, you know, broad public's understanding, natural gas is dangerously expensive, I- at least in the short term, if not for, you know, the next couple years. Um, The German vice chancellor and economic minister, Robert Habeck, was speaking earlier, and he was talking about instruments other than price caps will be looked at, um, obviously saying how uh, pressing energy prices actually are. He mentioned that companies shouldn't keep profits from the energy price hike, etc. What do we think the commission's actually going to do here? Well, it's going to be really interesting because they have two sort of um priorities you know they want to bring down prices and they also want to spur a record amount of investment in new generation they want tons of new wind and solar to you know solve this gas crisis in the long term and so they're not going to want to do anything that jeopardizes that they're not going to want to 
um, take measures that make people think twice about investing their cash in Europe's um, uh, electricity markets instead of the U.S., which is also, you know, just passed climate legislation that makes it very attractive for renewable energy investors. And so they're going to want to do something to bring prices down. Um, but I don't, it's 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 going to be interesting to see what they do that's a bit more longer term because I know that the you know people who are making those investments don't want them to make any rash decisions. Like there there are things they could do that would reform power markets that uh, you know big utilities that are going to be spending billions in the coming years to develop the you know the power system of the future in Europe there, there's regulations that they would be happy to see change but they don't want them to do it you know under the gun in a in a week or two uh, without really having the time to consider the implications of their actions well let's tear up the script here euro dollar has declined by more than 12% since january it's now stuck below parity obviously this is adding to the pressure on um, on on households on, on power prices more generally speaking I mean, when do we see currency intervention on the part of the uh, on, on the part of monetary authorities in Europe? Aren't we already seeing that? I mean, to the I extent mean, that I'm talking, well, no, I'm talking about real currency intervention here, fixings. You know that Will's an energy reporter, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he's like, um, uh, yeah. Will, do you have an answer before I make uh, fun of Damien? Th- thank, thank you, thank you, Alex, for saving me from that one. <laughs> um, but. I guess, Damien, you're asking that question. Why? Because you just because you think that they're going to have to do some serious intervention. I absolutely do. I think there's. I look. I think. Well, rationing. What can they really do, though? Well, I mean, you tell me. Rationing is definitely going to come into the conversation. There's no question about mm-hmm. that. Dollar is obviously adding to pressure there. I mean, if the dollar keeps going the way it is, I mean, it doesn't matter how much rationing you're going to do. You're going to have to do more. Some there's got to be a cap on it, wouldn't you say? Well, that's kind of what what I think. Will you were saying, right? That there ha- then that's why you have to do the energy cap. But the problem is, if you cap it too low, it's going to incentivize demand, which is going to make the problem even worse. Yeah, and and there there is definitely you know energy rationing uh, coming into play already. There have been rules passed across Europe about you know doing things like turning off lights outside buildings, capping heating, capping cooling to save energy. Um, you know, industries are just shutting off because it's so expensive. That's a kind of a form of chaotic uh, rationing, demand destruction. Mm-hmm. And you know, if, if you see these these prices continuing, that's that's only gonna keep up. If if the gas shuts off completely, it's gonna force more rationing. And you know, Europe has done a really good job filling up their storage levels. But if they need to you know, run them down all winter, if, if there's very little gas coming in, then, you know, next spring, yeah. they're going to be yeah. in a situation where they have really low storage levels and they have to start filling them up again just well, to get ready for October 2023. So this, this is a cyclical issue yeah. that we're going to be having these same conversations next year. Probably. Well, it's turning structural, I think, is also part of the problem. Well, thanks a lot. Really appreciate it. Let's not forget that tomorrow Nord Stream 1 will be shutting down for supposedly 72 hours of maintenance. Dot, dot, dot. We'll see. Uh, will Mathis of Bloomberg joining us. All right, coming up, we're talking about the market action today. Uh, and of course, looking uh, for Fed speak. Apparently, they watch stocks. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. You're listening to 
Cable and Bloomberg DAB Digital Radio. I'm Alex Steele in New York. It's just past 5.30 over in London. Uh, Damien Sassauer joins me here in New York. Guy Johnson is off today. We were just talking real estate, actually. I'm not going to lie. I went from pubs to real estate, I think, is, is where we're going here. Um, in the markets, you're looking at NASDAQ off by about one percentage point, S&P off by one. We're off the lows, but you had some really solid economic data, which we'll get to in just a second, um, that sort of spurred the move lower, ironic as that sounds, because the job market's still showing signs of huge strength and a huge gap of supply and demand, and that's going to put more pressure on the Fed to deliver. That means higher short-term rates. That means a lower equity market. That's what the market is telling us right now. Let's find out what other headlines are with Charlie Bellis. Hi, thank you very much, Alex Steele. Here's what's going on. Ukraine reports heavy fighting as it started an offensive in the region around Kherson. This is a river port that was one of the first cities to fall to Russian forces at the start of the war. Artillery hit Russian positions, according to the Ukrainian military Southern Command, which said a counteroffensive began yesterday along several points on the front. Goldman Sachs Group is warning UK inflation could top 22% next year if natural gas prices remain elevated in coming months. The prediction is the latest startling forecast for the severity of the crisis that's unfolding in the UK, with hopes fading that inflation will peak in October. Goldman's outlook, by the way, even more gloomy than that prediction last week from Citigroup, with which saw price gains peaking at 18.6%. UK credit card borrowing rose at its strongest pace since 2005. Mortgage interest costs jumped to the highest in six years, indicating growing strain on household budgets. The Bank of England said annual growth in credit card debt rose 13%, which was the most in 17 years. And Ryanair Holdings sees soaring inflation, Brexit-related challenges, and a potential recession threatening the aviation industry's recovery as a summer boom draws to a close. That is the latest from the news desk. Alex Steele, back to you now here in New York. All right, Charlie Pellet, thank you so very much. Just want to touch quickly uh, on the ECB for a moment. Governing Council uh, member Joachim Nagel is speaking, and he's talking about uh, that hawkish bet. He's saying, look, front-loading hikes minimizes the risk of pain later, and that recession fears should not delay rate increases. And Damien, I feel like this is the theme, right? Central bankers are talking. Yeah, there's some doves out there, but really central bankers are, we want to fight inflation. We will be hiking. Um, I guess it just depends whether or not markets really listen. Well, do you see Bostic talking things back a little bit earlier? Today here, here no, in I the missed US. that one. What yeah, did you no, say? no, Raphael Bostic. Yeah, no, I mean, look, he was. I think you know everybody's jumping all over the seventy-five bit bandwagon, and I think you were talking it back just a little bit. You're talking about he he was like t- trying to dial that back. Yeah, a little. back to fifty basis points. I think. Look, I mean, you know, for yeah. me, it's it's all about you know the miss on fixed rate nominal supply in the second quarter. I'm talking about you know. Basically, the plumbing of the U.S. financial system. I'm talking mm-hmm. about, you know, the nine. I think it was 900 billion was sort of last year. It was something maybe 800 billion was expected by the street. But the fact that we didn't see that much issuance in the second quarter, you know, it, you know basically the they got a lot of tax revenue because you know unemployment's down, wages are up, and so you know not a lot of treasury issuance means mm-hmm. not a lot of pressure on yields to go higher. Yep. And does that stay that way? So um, let's bring in Michael McKee, Bloomberg National Economics and Policy Correspondent. So, um, Mike, there's lots of things to get through, like the data today, et cetera. Um, so let's get to it. So DeJolt's job openings, really strong. Um, conference board consumer confidence, really, really strong. Expectations and present situation, really strong. Then the market sells off. What did we learn from that data that kind of spooked people? Um, well, there's a lot of cross-currents always with the equity markets, but I think um, what may be happening is that the economy seems a little bit stronger. 
um, any kind of data point that suggests that is going to scare people because they're going to think the Fed is going to raise rates more and sooner. And so um, that's maybe what's going on. One of the interesting things in the the conference board one uh, that was uh, interesting was uh, the expected uh, job openings six months from now went up. So people mm. think that the job market, which the Jolts yeah. survey said improved uh, in, in terms of openings, is going to get even better. Now that's kind of hard to <laughs> that's kind of hard to justify. But uh, if people believe that, then that does suggest the Fed has more work to do. Did you see Mike in his bomber jacket and cowboy hat? So okay, home? I was on vacation last week, but Mike fa- sent me the video and was like, "Hey, did you watch me? So did good. you see this? I, I, check I, me out. Check me out." He looks so good. All right, Mike. You know, so you were there. You were at Jackson Hole. My question for you is this: I mean, you spoke to a bunch of Fed officials. You spoke to a bunch of people. I mean, do you really, in your gut, believe that the Fed believes that they can actually engineer a soft landing? I don't think they believe it. I think they hope they can. Um, <laughs> This is a completely new yeah. situation. This isn't anything like as, and, and it was funny because um, one of the Bond people today put out a note that said, you know, this whole Volcker debate was 50 years ago, and we <laughs> hope somebody has learned something in 50 years. But uh, they, it's hard to make predictions at this point, but with so many jobs open, it's going to take either a long period of rates being high or something to cause that to shrink a lot to the point where you would fall into recession. The economy may be stronger than in any other pre-recessionary period, shall we say. So the Fed is hoping that what we'll get is a period of slower growth, uh, slower than potential, but not a a recession, an actual contraction. So is this how one would describe a soft landing, that the unemployment rate goes up, but because people come back into the workforce, not because people are laid off, right? Uh, that could be part of the definition, yes. I mean, they're, what they're hoping is that uh, people keep spending. I mean, we're in this weird situation now where the first quarter's GDP was influenced by inventories and exports, not anything to do with the domestic economy, really. So uh, if people keep spending and businesses keep investing, then they're not going to worry so much about a contraction. You know, Alex and I were just talking about real estate here in the U.S., so I have to ask about this. I mean, U.S. new home sales, you saw it's a price to the downside. You saw the um, National Association of Realtors Home Buyer Affordability Index, right? Lowest since 1980. I mean, basically went below 100. I think that means that people can't afford homes here in the U.S. No, anymore. No, they can't. No way. And, and now you've got you've got the runoff, right? And it's picking up steam. You know, I mean, like, you know, we remember 2019. I mean, you and I were here together when it hit. I mean, what are your thoughts here? I mean, is there concern, real concern, that something's going to break in the plumbing? Or are we sometime off from that actually being an issue? Well, Fed officials think we're sometimes off from that being an issue. They expected the housing industry to be hit hard and hit first because it's the most interest rate sensitive sector of the economy. But we've also seen mortgage rates come down a little because they get too high and uh, you know the, <laughs> the lenders would like to make some loans. So uh, mortgage rates come down a little bit. And then again, I go back to this consumer uh, confidence number today. The number of people who said they're going to buy a house, either new or existing, 
rose. Mm-hmm. And so, so uh, yeah. people haven't given up on housing. It's just it is getting harder to afford. But if we go through a period where that sort of rationalizes and the massive price increases we've seen, I mean, the, the Case-Shiller numbers came out today. Right. They had been over 20% increases on a year-over-year basis. They've fallen to 18, but that's but still, still, 18. still pretty, yeah. yeah, it's still a significant number. Now, those are two months delayed, and the latest price drops that we are seeing in housing haven't made it in there yet. But you'd like to see that get down to a uh, more sustainable number, shall we say, yeah. 4 or 5% a year. But then we have this um, great article from uh, Catherine Doherty saying the Bank of America is starting a trial program aimed at helping first-time home buyers in black and Hispanic neighborhoods by offering mortgages that don't require down payments, no closing costs or minimum credit scores. Um, I mean, obviously, like for wealth effect and for equality, this is obviously an amazing thing. I mean, this, housing is like the number one easiest way to build wealth in this country, right? But that's a the Fed's going to look at that and be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> well, <I laughs> we su- wanted to slow things down. I suspect that um, Mary Daly out in San Francisco where uh, they've had uh, huge housing run-ups and, and the, uh, the folks at the Richmond Fed where Bank of America is headquartered in, in uh, Charlotte are going to be calling them in and saying, what does this mean? And they're going to look at their methodology. One of the things that's been happening lately is people are looking at mortgages and saying, the way we do this isn't right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that a lot of people may not have great credit scores, but have the income and the debt levels to be able to afford their monthly payment. And so maybe you come up with a new system, and I don't know what their system's going to be, but maybe you come up with a new system that figures out other ways to judge whether or not people can afford the loan and therefore they can get it. And as you mentioned, there's an incentive for the banks because the Fed and other bank regulators push them to try to make more loans to underserved communities. You know, uh, just talking about inflation here, I mean, stickier components of core prices, and I know you know this better than anyone, they continue to jump as aggregate labor uh, rises, right? Labor income rises. Has the flattening trend run its course, or are we going to test some of those limits here? I mean, I remember when this all started, we were looking at negative 40 and two tens, and everyone was kind of, no way we get there. Oh, my God, I remember that. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, where do we go from here? I know we've been as low as inverted to 200 basis points back in, you know, what, the 80s, but I mean... What are we thinking this time around? I am not sure where we could get to because this is an unusual situation. Uh, For the people I've talked to, they think we're going to hang around this level uh, until we get the jobs and CPI reports because that'll kind of give you a better idea of what's happening um, with inflation. But if you look at the Cleveland Fed's CPI Nowcast, which is an effort to try to tell you today what CPI would be if it were today, the headline goes down and the core holds about where it is, which in both cases dropped the year-over-year number. So uh, it looks like the August numbers, I mean, there's a sort of a lean towards better news. A lot of people think that we could start to see a lot of these, as the supply chains get better, a lot of the price pressures, especially in the core, decline even more. Uh, if you saw the story today, the ports of Los Angeles and Long, uh, Long Beach uh, report the ships backed up waiting to dock are at all-time lows now. Oh, so it's starting to look like 
uh, a lot of the supply chains are getting normalized either because uh, clogs have been removed or because they've moved their or supply because chains. Or because there are problems abroad in places like South Korea and China. <laughs> well, we'll get into that. Or, I mean, <laughs> I, mean I, I think at least we hope that the demand is actually there yeah. rather than just sitting there because there, there's also weaker demand. Um, so then Thursday, runoff of the balance sheet technically begins in a bigger way. What yeah. are we expecting? Um, nothing Thursday. Uh, it's just, <laughs> but definitely tune in for all the exciting the, things that are going to happen yeah, Thursday. It's the, start, it's the start of September. And in September is when they make the uh, change to the caps and re- double the caps for treasuries and, and mortgage securities. But uh, the treasuries and mortgage securities roll off at uh, the middle of the month and the end of the month. And then you have a, a you know settlement period that runs about two weeks. So... You're not going to see any real changes in the balance sheet until, uh, I would say, the end of September and then the middle of October is when it'll really start to pick up and and really be noticeable that uh, that it's falling. Now, if you if you disaggregate the balance sheet right now and you look at Treasuries versus mortgages, Treasuries are finally starting to fall. They were propped up for a while and they may go up again mm-hmm. in some weeks because tips are included in the portfolio. And as inflation rises, tips become more valuable. And so they have to raise the value of the balance sheet because their securities are more are more valuable. It doesn't mean they have any more securities. They just have more valuable ones on the books. And it may be that inflation rises a bit at some point and, and, and tips change their value. Mortgages have taken a while to run off for a number of reasons, but a lot of it has to do with the settlement timing. Uh, and they have been very volatile because the, uh, the, the, the roll-off and the reinvestment that the Fed's been doing comes in the middle of the month and the settlement comes at the end of the month. So you get this sort of spiky thing going on with mortgages. We'll see how they play out because um, we're not, we don't get a lot of prepayments because the interest rates are higher, so people aren't refinancing. Alex, we get we get claims on Thursday, if it mm-hmm. makes you feel any better. It does. Yeah, no, so yeah. we got something. I think we have ISM also. No, but I mean, There's we have payrolls on Friday, on. right? Mike? Payrolls Friday. Payrolls, it's payroll Friday. I mean, what are we looking for? I mean, the streets at 300, I mean, I guess, you know, another strong month, right? I mean, and you got to believe that it's going to be a very important data point to the Fed. We're, we're all kind of in the, you know, Nobody can really tell. Uh, everybody got burned last month badly. So we'll see. Uh, there doesn't seem to be any anecdotal evidence that that guesstimate is wrong. Uh, we do get the new and theoretically improved ADP tomorrow. Oh, yeah. And then we get jobless claims, and those will all go into the estimate. I have the feeling Mike will be back uh, between now and then. Uh, Michael McKee, thank you very, very Thanks, much. We Mike. appreciate your time. That was a lot of fun uh, kicking that around. Uh, coming up, we're going to kick Damien around here. Uh, we're talking about China, property prices. Um, there's a Congress, there can be people's Congress. There's also COVID that continues to spread here. We're going to break it all down with the master of emerging markets, Damien Sassauer. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. You're listening to Cable on Bloomberg DAB Digital Radio. I'm Alex Steele here in New York. It's almost 6 o'clock where uh, you guys are. Guy Johnson is off today. It's just almost 1 o'clock here in the U.S. And Damien Sassauer has been kind enough 
to join me. I made him talk about electricity prices. I made him talk about inflation. UK politics. Uh, UK politics, always a winner for him. So now I'm going to give him seven minutes to talk about what he wants to talk about. Um, and I say, I say that glibly, but there's a lot of news coming out of China. And I'm really curious as to what you're focusing and keying in on the most. Well, you got to you got to focus on the property sector. I mean, that's nothing new. It's a broken record. I mean, we've seen $37.3 billion in offshore defaults year to date. I mean, Chinese developers, Evergrande, Shimao, they're all facing another $30 billion of debt that's due just before the end of the year. So, you know, look, first half issuance um, of dollar bonds out of China sank to an all-time low. And just today, we saw that if you are an issuer or a company in China who wants to issue offshore debt, well, now you got to go to the government for approval. So that's a, that's a new rule. It's probably the biggest regulatory change we've seen since 2016 in the Chinese bond market. Okay. So what's the significance of that? Like as an investor, like how do you how do you view that? Yeah. As, a, as an investor, it means you have less to invest in if you really do like China debt. But I think, I think what you really have to just understand is that um, is that households are hurting, and it's really spilling into you know the, the commercial sector, into businesses. I mean, and you see with COVID zero behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's really. There's really been no growth, and so we have PMI data that's going to be coming out overnight. It's going to be weak. It's probably going to be weaker than markets expect. I mean, if you look at you know, real-time trucking gauges, if you look at South Korea exports through the first 20 days of this month, if you look at U.S. and Eurozone PMIs and you extract back what that means, clearly there's going to be more pain to be had in China. And if you look at dollar yuan, I mean, we're testing the psychological seven-handle again, which means the yuan mm-hmm. has weakened pretty significantly, making things that much harder. How much of it do you think is a zero-tolerance COVID policy? I just want to point out this headline that all 31 mainland provinces recorded at least one local case over the past 10 days. That's the broadest exposure to the virus since February of 2021. That said, how much of it's that? How much of it is change in how the country grows? And how much of it is the property sector just like totally imploding? Well, you know, I think I think it's that. Can you I think it? I, I well, you can. I think you can. Let's unpeel that. So I think I think if you really want to get growth moving in the right direction, get the economy moving, you have to do something about uh, vaccinating the, the, the you know vaccinating people and, and and ending COVID zero because you just can't manage a business if you look at you know uh, foreign uh, investment into China. It's it's weakened so considerably because you know CEOs and C-suite executives just can't. It's just they just don't have confidence that they're going to be able to even go to their factories in the morning because, you know, they're trapped at home. It's just a real big problem. So you need to address COVID zero. But by now, the property sector um, crisis is really kind of matriculated. Now it's a confidence issue. It's a confidence issue for households. Remember, you know, your 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 home, your property in China is is everything. You know, a lot of people don't have money in the stock market. They don't have savings really built up, you know. So it's going to be, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how it shakes loose. And people are just not paying their mortgages and things are getting worse. And the government's trying to step in. But you don't have banks lending. It's, it's a real nightmare. Did, didn't um, China say something about they're going to help? local provincial banks versus the big guys when it comes to this property crisis? Well, that's interesting because, you know, you've also got some some things that are hitting the wires about some of these local provincial banks, you know, creating uh, committing fraud, right? I mean, there's a huge investigation that's just been announced this morning. So, I mean, you know, to trust, you know, small provincial regional banks to do the heavy lifting and to lend to some of these households and be able to do the credit checks is kind of unrealistic in my mind. But nevertheless, you know, you've got distressed asset management companies, which are supposed to come off the, you know, come in and really backstop mm-hmm. a lot of these defaults and really take control of it and actually, you know, get the properties developed so that people have a place to live in. That's not even happening because banks just aren't lending. You know, there's just mm-hmm. no credit demand there. So, you know, that is the real issue. And that's a confidence issue. And I, I do believe that an end to COVID zero can go a long way to improving confidence domestically. So aside from that, 
Which I agree with you. I think it's odd. I mean, I understand that they'd have to go get the mRNA vaccines, for example, and not Cinevex. So I understand there's maybe get some on here. issues there. But, but let's just say that that happened. Would that solve the problem altogether? Or do you feel like there's some more drastic fiscal support that the government is going to be forced to take? I don't think we're going to see that this time around. Really? I mean, that's the real unfortunate. I'm, I'm thinking from so the perspective of an emerging fiscal. market investor because mm-hmm. it's going to be really unfortunate for emerging markets because when China sneezes, EM catches cold. And if China's not stoking growth yet again, if it's not if it's not doing what you're saying, you know, infrastructure spending, and it is doing quite a bit. I mean, it's not doing nothing, but it's nowhere near what we saw post global financial crisis, right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's I think that's really uh, it's going to be an overhang for emerging markets, and 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 that's really why, quite frankly, most of the world is bearish. On them. Okay, so where do I want to invest? So where do you want to invest? In is it going to be markets? like a natural resource South South American play at the end of the day? So it's interesting, you know. Like I, I yeah, every emerging market practitioner is waiting for the opportunity to receive in the front end, meaning to buy fixed income in local currency emerging market debt. And the economies that you're probably going to gravitate to are those that were early on in the hiking cycle. So I'm thinking hmm. Brazil, I'm thinking Chile, I'm thinking the Czech Republic. And so I'd keep an eye on those types of economies. I mean, even the Czech Republic and Poland, who have both been hiking aggressively, announced that they think they're going to start slowing the pace, which means, okay, we're getting close to the end here. But then you have Hungary this morning raising by 100 basis points right in their face. And so, you know, it's really difficult to gauge what's going to happen with the U.S., you know, not pumping, well, really pumping the ranks more aggressively than you would have otherwise thought. So, you know, look, I think that's the real risk here is finding a place to park your capital in emerging Mm -hmm. markets. I mean, the answer for me is probably to do it on a currency hedge basis because there's no fighting king dollar at this point. But there is, positioning is different, though, in that, not like other Fed rate hike cycles, with the strong dollar, all of a sudden there's so much money to come out of emerging markets. I mean, positioning is really thin, yeah? Um, it, yeah, it is. I mean, but we, we were starting to see some inflows, actually, and it, it goes a long way. I mean, we were just, you know, for the last, since June, really, we saw some nice inflows into emerging markets, passive inflows, retail-oriented investors, but... You know, I think, um, you know, the next data round that's going to come out after this Jackson Hole meeting is going to show some outflows. I think, you know, just shifting back to what we talked about initially with China, I mean, really, what is this all kind of feeding into? We got party gongers coming up on October 16th. Mm-hmm. They just announced the date. You know, you're going to have the seventh plenum uh, held on the 9th, which leads up into that. You know, you've got two members of the Supreme Standing Committee that are going to leave. You, you know, she's going to probably get another five year term. That's going to be 15 years under President Xi. It's pretty unbelievable. It feels like just yesterday. And so, look, I mean, you also have Li Keqing, the premier who announced that he's going to retire. So you're going to have mm-hmm. a lot of change in mm-hmm. you know the bureaucracy in Beijing. And I think you got to keep an eye on that. Excellent stuff. I could talk to Damien pretty much <laughs> all day about all the things. Um, I really appreciate Damien. Thank you so much uh, for joining me, spending some time with me um, on your very busy day. Hope you enjoyed the show. You've been listening to The Cable. I'm Bloomberg DAB Digital Radio. Have a great Tuesday, guys. I will see you tomorrow. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg.